So we're doing a brief series that I've titled, The End is Near, with an interrobang. And that is a question mark with an exclamation point right in the middle of it. I really like this piece of punctuation. It's, uh, it's super cool. And it seems to uh, give the emotion behind where people are today. Well, are we there? There's an interrobang right there. So that's kind of awesome. All right, so you guys are not as fascinated with that as I am. I can see that. My bad. Just trying to lighten things up a little bit here. Okay. I guess when you're talking about end times, you've got to talk like this. The end is near. Sinners repent. Well, that might have a degree of truth behind it. But nonetheless, as I said last week, we have been walking along the edge of the end since the first century. When Jesus rose from the grave, ascended to the right hand of the Father, he promised he was going to return. And he didn't say that he was going to return after A, B, C, D, E, and F happened. He could return anytime. You and I need to be ready for that. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be aware that there are signs of the times. Last week, I tried to help us to understand that the, the, the end point, the place that we're headed, is judgment day, the day of the Lord. Now, perhaps I didn't make it as clear as I will make it today, and that is that Judgment Day is not just the point in time, if you will, or at the end of time when you face Christ in judgment, but it is that season when God removes His Spirit and begins to pour out His wrath on human beings. Now, you and I are blessed if we are in Christ the scripture very clearly teaches that we are not appointed for wrath. That's not the appointment that you have. We will be protected from the wrath of God because the wrath of God has been poured out on Christ. So that's why you need to be in Christ. Now, if we get that far, I'm going to make this a brief series, but if we, if we get that far, uh, I will show you in Revelation where I believe God is going to remove his church from the earth before he pours out those final bowls of wrath. But that day, that season, that time, the day of the Lord is coming when justice will be meted out to all of those who have rejected God's offer of mercy and grace. So be clear. That's where we're headed. Don't get caught up in all of the, the side arguments about when Jesus is going to return and issues about the millennium and, and uh, all of these sorts of things. I want you to focus on the reality that Jesus is going to come back and call an end to everything. That's what you need to realize. And whether Jesus returns in your lifetime, in my lifetime, you and I are going to meet the Lord when we breathe our last breath. So I wanted you to understand that last week, and I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to bear that in mind. Um, this week, I want to actually read a rather lengthy passage of Scripture. Um, we're not going to go verse by verse through Matthew 24, but we are going to look at it section by section. Um, and uh, I want to talk today about false teachers, false prophets, and false Christs. Or in a broader sense, I want to talk today about false doctrine and the misrepresentation of Jesus. And uh, I thought that this was very timely. One of our young people sent me uh, a piece of video from this, uh, this controversial video service, TikTok. Apparently there's like 100 million people on this or whatever. It's only controversial because the Chinese own it and are mining personal information as the result of it. But a lot of young people are on it. I guess it's a short video sharing service, like a, a mini YouTube from what I understand. I'm not on it. Uh, I'm still on Facebook, which shows you how old I am, all right? Um, but nonetheless, and then I received an email the very next day after you sent me that video on a different subject, but nonetheless, still false teaching, false doctrine. And I thought, you know, this is something that Jesus is clearly speaking about from the very beginning of his teaching about the end times, as we would call it. Uh, theologians call this the eschatological discourse. So Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, and that's a, a moral discourse. But then he climbed to the side of another mountain, the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives overlooks the Temple Mount, and Jesus gave his overview of the end of time. So that I don't miss anything or uh, 
without knowing it, misrepresent anything, we're going to read Matthew 24. Again, it's a lengthy passage, so I want you to hang in there with me. I want you to pay as close attention as you can. If you have your own copy of Scripture, I would invite you to open it to Matthew 24. It will help you to follow along. If you have a mobile device, then you can, uh, you can go to Bible.com and you can look up Matthew 24 and follow along if you have the time to do so. Father, I pray that we'll understand your word, we'll receive it, and we'll be moved by it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ said about the end times. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? That is, Jesus asked them. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. By 70 AD, that had happened. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, if you want to study this later, there's your outline for this passage. Okay? When will this happen? The destruction of the temple. And what will be the sign of your coming? That is, Jesus returning and of the end of the age, so of the end of time. So you see all three of those things interwoven here. So there are some things that took place in the first century that are here, and there are some things that we're going to see at the end of time that are here as well. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. So the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is there are going to be false Christs. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. I want you to mark that down. Just because you hear about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and all, that doesn't mean that the end has come. Those things are going to happen. Those things have been happening all along. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And in Luke's version of this, in Luke 21, he says pestilence which is what we would associate with the coronavirus. But I want you to understand, what Jesus is trying to say is, that doesn't mean the end has come. Those things must happen first. All these are the beginning of birth pains. And we have a number of ladies in this room that have had babies recently, that are fixing to have babies, and they understand birth pains and how long labor may last. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Verse 10. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's verse 13. Who gets saved? If you fall away, you don't get saved. Now, I am of the persuasion very firmly that if you have genuine faith, you won't fall away. But you need to understand, right now, we're being sifted. People are falling away. And you need to pray that some of those people will come back to the Lord. Because it is only those who run the race to the end and cross the finish line that get the prize. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. If you want to know the singular sign that assures that the end is going to come, it's that the gospel is preached as a witness to all peoples. Right now, the last testimony that I uh, read from the International Mission Board of Southern Baptists, uh, some 7,000 different people groups have still not heard the gospel. Jesus isn't going to return until everybody has had the opportunity to hear the gospel, right? Now, you and I don't know how quickly and when that will happen, so again, we still need to be ready for Jesus to return anytime. But when you look around you and you see these external signs, oh, there are earthquakes, oh, there are wars, oh, there's pestilence, you need to stop being alarmed and, and, and thinking that the end is near. Jesus said, no, those things are going to happen. That's the beginning of the birth bank. But when this gospel of the kingdom is preached to all nations as a witness, then the end will come. Amen? Verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, and I won't go into detail on that, but we're going to talk about that. This is the, the so-called beast, the antichrist. Spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down and take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back and get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. 
Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. This is called by some in the theological biblical world the great tribulation. Verse 22. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, that's the chosen, that's people who genuinely have faith in Jesus, that's, I hope, many or not all of you, if not all of you. Um, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Verse 23. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. This is going to be a very enticing time for false doctrine, for false teaching. It will even tempt those who have been chosen to believe the lie. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even to the west, so will be the coming of man. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. What does that mean? It's really not referring to death so much as there can be a dead animal that is you know, a mile from you, but you will see the vultures circling over it. In other words, that dead animal is hidden but you're going to see clearly that it is there. Jesus is trying to say, I'm not going to be hidden in some room somewhere, in some uh, remote place. It is going to be clearly known from one end of the earth to the other that I have returned, right? In fact, Jesus said in, uh, in Acts chapter 1 that as he left the earth and was hidden by the clouds, so he would return, right? All right, back up to verse 24. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Say, I've told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, here he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe. For as lightning comes from the east and is visible even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there will the vultures gather. Verse 29, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then there will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And I read you that last week. That was Revelation 19. Jesus said he would come on the clouds of heaven. He comes riding on a horse with the armies of heaven behind him. And there it is. Jesus is prophesying of that that uh, John saw in, John, uh, in Revelation 19. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect, once against the chosen, the, those that genuinely have faith, from the, four winds of, uh, from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you will know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Verse 36. But about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. Jesus is saying that while he was on earth in his limited form, he didn't even know. That's an amazing thing that God in, you know, came in skin, came in flesh, came as a human being, but that God was capable even of limiting himself to that degree, that while he walked on earth historically with us, he did not know. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man, in the days of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. They were oblivious. They were just having a good old time, probably laughing at Noah. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be, in, will be grinding at the handmill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. 
Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put, in char- he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that the servant is wicked and says, to his, and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour when he is not aware of it. He will cut him in pieces and assign him to a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Difficult passage of scripture. Now I'm going to refer to my notes a good bit here because I was rereading them this morning and I thought that uh, the Lord had certainly spoken when I was looking at this earlier in the week and I don't want to leave that behind. A couple of verses, well first of all, several things, and I didn't, I didn't put those in these notes. Um, and uh, this is that slide I was telling you about, Jacob. Um, there are more than this, but there are five clear signs that the end has come. Number one is apostasy. That is the falling away. Now, you have a place over on the right side of your bulletin where you can keep notes, and uh, it might be wise for you to do so. All of these we find in the Scripture. Uh, we find these, in fact, uh, in the passage that we just read. So several weeks back, I talked to you about the reality that there are people who just follow along with Jesus. There are people that just follow Jesus around. There are people that are just fans of Jesus. But when difficult times come, when Jesus says difficult things, then they fall away. There will be a great falling away at the end of time. That's apostasy, a falling away, a turning away. Those who once followed Jesus, who once claimed to be Christians, will now claim, who knows? They may claim to be agnostics. They may claim to be atheists. But one way or the other, they will choose to turn away. Well, we covered that a couple weeks ago, so I'm not going to return to that. Number two is persecution of Christians. And Jesus makes that clear. Things are not going to get better for us. They're going to get worse for us. If you stand up for Jesus, you're going to stand in the face of many things and many people who are opposed to Christ, some of whom may be claiming that they represent Jesus. But if you represent Scripture, then you are going to be persecuted. They're going to come up against you. In the first century, in the second century, all the way through the early fourth century, many Christians were martyred for their faith. They gave up their lives for their faith because they wouldn't worship the emperor. Uh, They wouldn't worship the Roman gods at that point in time. Jesus is clear in the passage that we just read. There will be persecution. Now, if you and I are unwilling to undergo a little persecution on Facebook, then we're not ready. We're not ready. This is a light test. Right now, what we're going through right now, this is nothing. The coronavirus, this is nothing, right? This is just a little test, and it's just a little taste, but it's getting you ready, right? So if you've ever worked out and then gotten away from working out and then you go back to it, you have to start easy, right? You have to start light. You can't just get in there and just lift this heavy, heavy weight. you got to get in there and you're going to start light, all right? Um, I hate running, and each time I get away from running, I have to go back, and I have to basically start all over again where I do this interval training where I run and then walk and then run and then walk until I'm closing in, and there's more running than walking until there's no walking. But if I go immediately after not running for a period of time and try to run a 5K, then I can't, I can't finish, right? So what I'm saying is you have to stair-step into these things, and I believe this is what God is doing for you right now. Uh, I was talking to a, a, a man that I uh, have known for many years. Hasn't ever really come to our church, but I've had a, an, a casual affiliation with him. Uh, he's sort of semi-homeless, and uh, he was out here, and we were talking, and he was talking about, well, when is the Lord going to take this away? This is a test. The Lord's going to leave this until we pass the test, until we learn what he wants us to learn, right? But you and I need to realize that this is, this is absolutely nothing, right? It is a time for you and I to realize whether our faith is genuinely in Jesus or not, right? Persecution of Christians is going to go down. Family division. Families are going to line up against each other. Children against their parents. Brother against brother or sister against sister. They're going to line up on two sides of this issue of whether Jesus Christ is who the Scripture says he is or not, right? So the Scripture is very clear. It says, if you train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. But I think there are times when children fall away for a period of time. Now, I pray that that is not the case for any of us in this room. But you and I need to be ready for these things. I'm trying to tell you what the Scripture says, not to scare you and not to be a false prophet up here and say that I know that this is going to happen now at this point in time and so forth. But you need to be ready for this. That's why I've put that in bang up there. The end is near, 
Well, it very well could be. So are you ready? That's the question, right? So what we see today is many children who have grown up and have become so-called millennials have turned away from the faith. In fact, in each successive generation, we have seen more and more people turn away from the faith. Now I'm going to align myself with a number of people who are actually probably uh, more educated uh, than I am who have said that this is not a reflection on the fact that there are really fewer Christians. It's simply telling us who the genuine Christians are. When culture is going that direction of Christian faith, then people who go along with the culture are going to go that direction. But when the culture changes, you're going to see who the cultural Christians were and who the genuine Christians are. Because when the culture changes, the cultural Christians are going to follow the culture away from Christ. And that is exactly what you see happening today. And it is not as simple as simply saying, well, I don't believe in Jesus. It is, it is a matter of misrepresenting Jesus. It is a matter of holding up certain values that the Scripture is opposed to, as though in some manner God has gotten behind those suddenly, although for 2,000 years he was not. Okay? So um, there will be persecution. There will be family division. There will be lawlessness that leads to lovelessness. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said that most people will be lawless. They will, they will turn away from the law. And because of this, because of their lawlessness, most people's love will grow cold. I think that that is exactly what we see when we see the extremes in these protests out on the street. Now, I'm not talking about legitimate grievances that people may have. I'm talking about the violence that we're seeing. I'm talking about the hatred that we're seeing. I'm talking about the, the lack of, of empathy for both sides, one so-called sides, right? This lovelessness, lawlessness leads to lovelessness. Why is that? Because I'm not paying attention to anyone else except what I think, what I believe, what I've chosen to follow. I'm not going to be considerate of anyone else. I'm simply going to do what I think is right. So lawlessness leads to lovelessness, and we see a lot of lovelessness. In fact, what we see today is we see, and we've seen this for many, many generations, but we see sex being substituted for love. Sex is not love. You can write that down. This is a huge confusion, and this is a problem that people have in our culture. It's confusing uh, something that could be very powerfully expressed between two adults in a marriage relationship as being love. And that's not the case, right? Um, and then finally, what we're going to cover today, false teachers, false doctrine, and false prophets. So to repeat two verses, uh, Matthew 24, verse 5 and 11, Jesus said, For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will mislead many. Now, in our day, I don't see many people saying, I am he, I see many people misrepresenting Jesus and saying, that is him. Jesus didn't teach this. Jesus didn't teach that. That is him. And they're misrepresenting Jesus perhaps with their own political ideology. So one of the things that I encountered, um, I, I mentioned uh, the TikTok video, and then I mentioned this email that I got, and I deleted the email, and then I went back and thought, you know what? No, this is... I'm not going to read the whole email. I don't, I don't want to publicize th this guy's diatribe. But typically, I have heard statements like this being made from people on the right. Uh, you would assume that from the statements that they're making, somehow, you know, uh, the, the present president is uh, the Messiah or something. Um, but this, this is from someone on the left and it's called the Second Reformation of Christianity. And this must have been sent out to just a broad um, audience of pastors. Greetings, pastors and congregations and Christians. The foundation of Jesus' teaching is that of a radical liberal Democrat. I didn't know that. You cannot go to church on Sunday and worship a radical liberal Democrat Jesus and live the rest of the week as an ultra-conservative fascist Trumpy Republican. I didn't know that. 
The message, of Je- the message of Jesus is love one another. I agree, as I have loved you. I agree. Do unto others as you would have them do. Judge not. Be a good Samaritan. What you, what you ever, whatsoever you do, the least of these you do to me. My Christian friends, this is an ultra-liberal message. I wasn't aware of that. This is the problem. Politics is in the middle of everything. And I could go on and on. This guy justifies all sorts of things um, in this email. But I want you to know that throughout the ages, false teachers have used Jesus' good name to give credibility to their false doctrine. Jesus has a good name. And so everybody wants to be affiliated with that good name. Now, I have more respect for people who oppose the biblical doctrine who simply say, I don't believe in Jesus, I'm not going to follow Jesus, I don't believe the Bible, I don't believe in it or anything that it teaches. I would much rather have a conversation with somebody like that than somebody who says, oh no, I, I know the Bible, I've studied the Bible. This fellow that, uh, that my friend here sent me the TikTok video of was trying to uh, misrepresent a certain sexual position, and he was saying... Um, uh, that, uh, no, I've studied the Bible, I've studied it in the Hebrew and Greek, and I've been to Rome, and I, I've been to Greece, and I sent my friend here, you know, three or four passages of Scripture. You don't have to read Hebrew and Greek. Get a good English translation. It's just really clear. Now, I don't want to get into a quagmire related to this individual's uh, particular position um, on sexual issues, but you can probably guess the position that he was taking. My point is, when we feel that we need the, to use the Bible to justify our position without allowing the Bible, the Word of God, to shape our position, then we are misrepresenting Christ and we're misrepresenting the Scripture. And that, I believe, is a false Christ. An example of this in the 2nd and 3rd century, largely 2nd century, was the Gnostics. Um, and uh, this was a philosophical school, actually. Uh, we call it a Neoplatonic philosophical school. They believed that matter was evil. Therefore, the body was actually evil. They believed that the God who created matter was actually the devil. So they, they literally flip-flopped what the Scripture teaches. They saw the serpent in the garden. They saw that as representing the voice of God. Right? Right? representing wisdom, whom they, they termed Sophia. Well, this, the reason I bring this up is this, this was revived in 2006 with Dan Brown's novel, The Da Vinci Code, and you still have people that are buying into this. Today, Jesus is being politicized by the left and the right, and what we see in both instances is a false Christ. Now, how many of you in this room have heard of the Pharisees? Raise your hand. Right, so if you were to think of a Pharisee, would your first thought be, if we were to bring a Pharisee forward into the 21st century, would your first thought be the Pharisees would be ultra-conservative, or would your first thought be the Pharisees would be very liberal? What do you think? Now, see, early on, my thought was, well, gosh, they're, they're, so, they're so, you know, hardcore about, uh, about the law and morals and and, and this is, you know, many years ago before things kind of changed the way they are now. I thought, you know, these are like super religious people. They would be like the, the people on the right. But the reality, is, the reality is, politically in their day, they were progressives. The Sadducees, how many of you have ever heard of the Sadducees? But the Sadducees were the keepers of the temple. The Sadducees did not believe that any of the books beyond the first five, the Pentateuch, would, should be accepted as scripture. So in other words, they were ultra-conservative. But yet their position in terms of their alignment with Rome and culture would appear to us to be very liberal because they got along very well with Rome. So it's very interesting how we look at these particular issues. The Pharisees uh, added all sorts of extra rules and regulations to the scripture. The Pharisees believed in angels. The, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. Now, these things are taught later uh, in the Scripture, in the prophets. And we can demonstrate that there are angels and that there is a resurrection that's prophesied. But what I'm trying to help you to understand is this whole idea of conservative versus liberal is merely uh, a way of looking at how people approach the values in their particular culture. In other words... Conservatives are those that want to conserve the values of a previous era. 
Those may be wrong or those may be right. This country does have a history of racism. So a conservative that wants to conserve racism is conserving something that is evil. Now, typically, you will, you will hear uh, uh, me, you will hear Pastor Craig speak against some of the values that are being espoused and promoted by the left today. They're called uh, the left. In fact, left and right really comes from the French Revolution. It has to do with where these people were sitting uh, in their particular uh, governing body, right? But the left, the progressive, these are values that have not been typically held in the past. These can be evil or these can be good. What I'm trying to get you to understand is left and right is utterly irrelevant. Amen? What you need to look for is the truth. In fact, the middle is not even relevant. It's not about left, right, or middle. That is relative to our position currently and our values. So there are values that should be conserved from the past, certainly. Values of sexual purity, values of a, a whole family maintaining the, 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 central, uh, the, the, the family unit as central in society. These things are, are things that the, the progressive values that the progressives have moved far, 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 far from. Right um, Now, I think that a case can be made that capitalism can promote uh, incentive and that people can do great things as the result of working to earn more money for themselves and their families. But that doesn't mean that capitalism automatically comes from God. Hearts need to change. You need to take that money that you've earned and use it to glorify and honor the Lord. Capitalism is not automatically uh, something that we would want to associate with the Scripture, although I think free will and the ability to make your own determinations about where your money goes is very definitely something that is taught in the Scripture. But there are capitalists, there are those on the right who are uh, subscribed to a particular philosophy uh, called objectivism by uh, a uh, philosopher named Ayn Rand. And perhaps you have heard of her, Atlas Shrugged, these novels that she wrote. Uh, she's a Russian. And uh, objectivism is it, it basically simply stated is what you need to do is look out for number one. You need to go out and you need to earn and you need to try to uh, make things the best for yourself and essentially not worry about anybody else. Well, that's ultra selfish and that's definitely not something that Jesus promoted, right? But the other extreme, and th this is godless in nature, objectivism. This is, this is, and I keep pointing this way, this is your right, this is my left. But see how I'm, you know, helping you out, right? <laughs> and the other side is, is the left, which is being motivated, they're being fueled by, well, there's a, there's a book called Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky. That's the playbook for the left right now. If you look at what they're doing, it is as though that's their Bible. Saul Alinsky is a Marxist. Karl Marx said that religion is the opiate of the people. A pure Marxist is a materialist and an atheist. Communists are Marxists. Now, that is not to say that everything about communism is bad or wrong. As a, as a political movement, yes. But the early Christians practiced communism. We should, we should actually call it communalism. They chose to take the money that they had earned that they did not need or the property that they had earned that they did not need, they chose to take that and bring it and set it at the apostles' feet so that it could be distributed to the poor as any had need. That was what they chose to do. Now, what am I trying to get at here? You said, I thought we were talking about false teachers and false Christs. What I'm trying to help you to understand is we need to stop looking at uh, whether somebody appears to be on the right or what somebody appears to be on the left to determine whether or not what they're saying or what they're thinking is true. What we need to do is we need to look clearly at the, at the Scripture. The Pharisees were the progressives of their day. The Sadducees were the conservatives. Progressive or liberal people want to change the values that have been held by their culture. Conservatives want to maintain those values. Jesus wants to bear witness to the truth of God. Amen? When Jesus was pinned to the wall by Pilate, he said, are you, are you the king of the Jews? He said, you have said so. He said, but what I've come to do is bear witness to the truth. Now, the truth is neither liberal nor conservative. Amen? Let me say that again. The truth is neither liberal nor conservative. 
Once again, liberal and conservative is relative to the values of the culture where you stand at the moment. Liberal and conservative is irrelevant. People in all times are sinful and hold values in opposition to God's revealed truth. God has always kept 7,000 prophets who have not bowed their knee to Baal. That comes from the Old Testament when Elijah felt like he was the only one. And God said, no, Elijah, you're not the only one. It might seem that way. But I've retained 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. So you may look around you, you may see a wide scale falling away. You may see people who are turning away from biblical values. But there are always 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. That's a representative number, right? That's the remnant. I hope that's everybody sitting in this room. But I don't know that that's the case. See, it depends on how seriously you take the culture, how seriously you take your subculture, the people that are around you. You see, most of you are not really so much moved by the broader culture, but you are moved by your subculture. You are very strongly moved by the people who are around you, the set in which you move, your coworkers, your family members. You're moved by these people. You're moved by their values. Now I want you to understand something. That doesn't mean that their values are wrong or right. You need to go back to the scripture. See, if you stand for Jesus, you're going to make everybody mad. And it's sometimes you're going to make everybody happy. I can remember back when I, was, uh, when I was doing House of Judgment every year. Of course, this time of year reminds me of that. Well, we used to be just in an all-out sprint to prepare for that, uh, that very large program that we did. But um, this was back in the 90s, and it seemed like we were always being compared to this other alternative, alternative haunted house, called Hell House. But we were actually nothing like them. The way they presented things was very different than the way we presented things. I always wrote a story, and I let people observe the choices that these people, the young people, because I was a youth minister, all of our actors virtually were, were young people, and I wanted people to observe the choices that these young people made and then see the earthly and eternal consequences of those choices, whereas Hell House just showed a series of horrific scenes. I went to one Hell House. It was being done over at Southside. 2006 maybe somewhere around there no it couldn't have been 2006 because that was a year that we were doing uh might have been 2003 all right but that's the only time i had ever been through it and i you we'd been compared to it for you know a decade and a half at that point and i walked through it and i mean they had aborted fetuses in a toilet and i was like this is what am i doing here right now we walked into to hell and the devil was, it was this classic uh, non-biblical view of hell where the devil is sort of on a throne in his little kingdom with smoldering rocks. And I was like, have we read the scripture at all? Because the devil's more afraid of hell than you are. Did you know that? Hell's not a kingdom. Hell is a place of utter and complete separation and final punishment for those that have chosen to turn against God. It's a place of destruction. Anyway, all that to be said, it, it was very, very popular. It's still, there's a, there's a church that's been doing it for 20-some years, 25 years maybe now. Um, but it started at around the same time that House of Judgment started. Well, because of that, we would get all, and some of you may or may not have known these things, but I would get calls from various media outlets at, at different times, different years, that wanted to interview me, that wanted to talk about it. Um, so I got uh, the... Those of you that are uh, 30s, mid-30s, up through mid-40s, do you remember the radio station called The Edge? KDGE. Alternative rock, right? So that was kind of like a really cool radio station in the 90s. So they gave me a call, and they wanted to interview me. So I do, you know, I'm in the middle of House of Judgment, and so I'm basically, like a lot of you teenagers, I'm staying up all night and sleeping in to the middle of the morning. So I had to wake up early that morning and answer this call, and this very perky lady that, I never listened to The Edge, but this very perky lady that apparently was on there, hey, this is so-and-so, and it's The Edge! You know, I'm like, oh, great, okay, awesome, you know. So I'm on the phone with The Edge, and what they've chosen to do is they've gotten this guy who identifies as, uh, as a Satanist. 
And this is just, I'm listening to his voice, and this is just, he sounds like, you know, a young guy, probably early 20s, just listening to his voice on the phone. Yeah, he's a Satanist. What do you think about that? You know, and, and they're trying to stir up controversy. I, I, I've told you guys, haven't I, that this is what the media thrives on? If there's no conflict, there's no story. They need to stir up. They wanted me to get into a verbal fisticuff with this Satanist who loved Halloween and thought Halloween was awesome. And I just spoke honestly, you know, no, I'm not against Halloween, I think, you know, and I just told them what we did. And they were just really bummed out because I didn't get in a fight with the Satanist on the air, right? I had another lady that called me um, from England, and she had some sort of a show that she did over there. And she wanted to come out here, and she wanted to film House of Judgment, Right? Well, I later found out that it was a comedy show that was really, uh, it was all about making fun of people. So what she wanted to do was she wanted to come out here and she just wanted to drag House of Judgment through. But see, every time anybody came and saw this thing, they just saw a story and they were like, eh, well, we just can't really do what we wanted to do because it's not what we thought it was. Because it wasn't left or right. It wasn't, we hate all those non-Christians! right? We're out here protesting. No, that's not, we were just telling a story. We had a couple of guys from, um, uh, what is the, uh, the ticket, the ticket. Yeah. The sports show. And apparently they, they went around making fun of people. And I didn't know this. I would think sports is about sports, but today we can clearly see sports is not about sports, right? You watch sports, what you see is politics. I'm tired of it. I'm sorry. I'm exhausted. We need a break, man. We need a break. I don't need politics thrown in my face every time I turn the TV on. I just don't even watch it anymore. Bless them. Bless all of them. Do what you do. Run around. Jump around. Try to change the country's mind. But see, the, the reality is a lot of people that watch sports just want to watch sports. Right? But those who listen to the ticket, I mean, guys in particular, guys, we're about competition, aren't we? Yeah. So we need to see two sides fighting. Well, these two guys, I get, I'm, I'm deep in the house, okay? This is when it was over at, um, at uh, The Rock. And I've got a headset on. I can talk to people, these area supervisors that I've got throughout the whole house. I've got somebody at the front of the house. We had, that year, the line to get in was about five hours long, right? And I've got these guys that have come up. Yeah, they're from the ticket. And other people had heard of them. And what do you, what do you want us to do? And I said, let them in. So they came in, and I guess they had like a little recording device, and they were, <laughs> you know, they thought they were going to make fun of this thing. They went two scenes in, they turned around and walked out because it wasn't what they thought it was. That year, the very first scene was a hospital operating room. There was a girl on a, a bed, and they were, we had, we had paramedics and we had nurses who put together exactly what would have gone on in an emergency room situation. And I had music. I had it clocked out to the music. And they were all furiously working on this girl throughout the thing. It was a beautiful scene. The way they did it was so awesome, right? And then at the end of the scene, they froze. And then the actress who was playing the part, we made it look like she rose up and then came forward and narrated, and then the audience followed her through her life to show how she got there on the opera. This is what they were looking for. Now, I, I wasn't going to go into this much detail as far as, as House of Judgment is concerned, but what I'm trying to help you to understand is if you stand up for Jesus, you're going to make some people mad, and you're going to have other people kind of shrug their shoulders and go, well, I didn't think that's the way it was, Right? Because we're not going to just agree with the culture if the culture is against Christ, but neither are we going to conserve values from the past that are godless values, right? So uh, the Lord always maintains 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. So run from any preacher or teacher who claims that Jesus is affiliated with their denomination, philosophy, or political position. If you've got, I don't care if it's Southern Baptists, I don't care if it's United Methodists, I don't care if it's United Pentecostals, I don't care if it's Missionary Baptists, name your flavor. If they're like, well, we're the only ones getting into heaven, you need to walk out the door. The people that are getting into heaven are the people that confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, amen? Whatever their flavor. And they may or may not agree with you doctrinally, but if they genuinely have a relationship with Jesus, when I bring them to the Word, they're going to see the truth of the Word, and that's going to continue to persuade them. 
We preach Jesus and him crucified, a stumbling block to the religious and foolishness to the secular. But to those who are called, religious or not, Jesus is the power of God unto salvation and the wisdom of God for life. Amen? So you'll find Jesus' values held by some on the left and some on the right. But apart from the preaching of the gospel, those values will always either be partial or perverted to serve the idol of an ungodly ideology. So the right may uphold the value of unborn life, but also, as I said earlier, uh, objectivism and uh, not have a great deal of compassion for the poor. The left may show concern for the poor and marginalized, but fail to hold individuals responsible for their own actions. There's a real victim mentality from those on the left. Promoting a victim mentality in an effort to secure votes. And so we see uh, practices like intersectionality, identity politics, and constant appeals to race coming from the left. Jesus cares about people, period. Amen? He died for everyone, born and unborn, black and white, rich and poor. Amen? Everyone must come to Jesus and change their thinking and their ways to follow him. You must leave your politics, your popularity, your pedigree, and your profit-seeking behind. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Amen? The Jesus follower will be unpopular with the political extremes. The disciple will find agreement and disagreement from both sides because neither side is truly aligned with God's law. You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. I paused at that verse in Matthew 24 earlier. That's Matthew 24, 13. Might be a good one for you to memorize. The pandemic and the protests have been tests, and many are failing and falling away from following Jesus. Amen? So the question is, will you persevere to the end? True faith endures. Listen to that again. True faith endures. It's not an opinion. It's not a feeling. It's confidence in the living God. So will you per persevere to the end? The truly saved will always be saved, I believe. Listen to what the Apostle John wrote in his uh, first letter. 1 John 2, 18 and 19 reads, Dear children, the last hour is here. Remember how I told you we're walking along the edge of the end of time since the first century? He was writing this in the first century, and he said the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. Well, wow, that's difficult. It's difficult to hear. Again, 1 John 2, 18 and 19, I advise you to write it down, go back and read it. The spirit of the Antichrist waxes in our day, that means it increases. Our culture has become Antichrist in many respects. The great apostasy has begun and many are falling away. Pray for them, but don't go out after them. Did you hear that? I'm not trying to be mean. Pray for them, but don't go out after them. Remain together with those who hold to the truth of the gospel. Turn off, tune out, and turn away from every person or media source that rejects Jesus Christ or teaches a false Christ. And I'll conclude with a final passage from the same letter of John, 1 John, now chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. That's this guy. If I get, look at how long this email is. I printed it. This is 10 pages long. And at one point, he starts speaking like he's a prophet, all right? The Lord says, thus saith the Lord. Listen, I've seen this on the right for, for years. This is the first time I've seen somebody who is so leftist saying this. Do not believe everyone who claims they speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. But you belong to God, my dear children. Amen? But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. There is a spirit who lives in the world, the spirit of the Antichrist, right? The spirit of the false Christ. The devil moves many people's thinking. 
and many, many people's feelings. He is a liar and he's the father of it. He blatantly lies. Your job is to reject those lies. And you will be able to detect the lies that you must reject by aligning very closely with the truth. Right? I've mentioned this many times, and this wasn't something that I got. I heard, uh, I heard this, uh, this uh, statement made many years ago. Treasury agents are tasked with discovering counterfeit currency. That's their job. They go out and they look for counterfeit currency. Do you know how they train a treasury agent to spot a counterfeit hundred? They don't parade endless copies of counterfeits that have uh, come up. Now look at this counterfeit. We need to look at this and this and this. Oh, look at this counterfeit. We need to look at that. No. They become intimately acquainted with a real $100 bill. Now, I'm not going to get you to raise your hand. I don't know how many of us in this room are intimately acquainted with a $100 bill. I will tell you, I sold a, a car several years back and got a bunch of $100 bills for it. And the newer hundreds are really, really weird looking, man. I mean, the picture of Franklin is like a cartoon on these things. And they have so many weird features in them now, little plastic things and, you know, I, different ink and all this other stuff. So you can hold it up to the light. I'm like, good grief, this is a complicated, you know, piece of paper. But they become very, very familiar with that so that when, the, when they encounter a fake hundred, they're like, no, that's fake. You understand what I'm trying to say, right? If you really know Jesus and you get an email like this, you're not going to be going, well, gosh, I didn't know that. I guess I better vote for this guy because, you know, he's speaking for the Lord. doesn't matter if it's left or right. I'm telling you, Jesus is going to appeal to some degree to folks on both sides because there are values that are Christian values that are held by people on both sides of the aisle. But we need to affiliate ourselves with the Word of God. So Craig is back there every week teaching verse by verse through Matthew. I am in here on Wednesday teaching verse by verse through 2 Peter. We just read a lot of Scripture. Had I read less, this sermon would have been shorter by about 10 minutes. But you need to hear the truth. You need to hear it. And then you need to believe it. Amen? So it all comes down to whether or not you are in Christ. Because if you are in Christ, His Spirit is your teacher. His Spirit is speaking to your mind and to your heart. And it is incumbent upon you to say yes, to acknowledge that He is speaking, to sense that speaking, if you will, that voice, that inner voice of the Spirit speaking to your conscience. Because then when you hear these lies being propagated by the left and by the right, you will immediately be able to detect them because you know the truth and the truth has set you free. Amen?